Tonight we're getting into 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been into 2 Timothy um, for, for this entire year so far, and so we're jumping into chapter 4 tonight, and Paul's charge to Timothy sort of reaches its climax in our passage tonight. If you remember from the last few weeks, throughout chapter 3, Paul has been talking to Timothy about what he should be doing as the world continues on its course of getting worse and worse. And we talked about the last days that we're living in, and we talked about the perilous times that are coming or, or, or may already be here. We talked about the evil men and seducers who get worse and worse as time goes on. And last week we talked about our need to hold to Scripture, the inspired and preserved words of God that God gave for us. So as the world gets worse and worse, we can rest assured that we have what we need because God gave it to us. Well, in light of all of that, Paul starts chapter 4 by actually telling Timothy what to do because of everything he said in chapter 3. So, read verses 1 through 4 with me, um, and that'll be our passage tonight. It says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And so notice, before we even dig in, that Paul starts this verse, or this chapter in verse 1 with, I charge thee therefore. And that therefore lets you know that he's charging Timothy because of all of the things that we've been talking about from chapter 3. Um, A good rule of Bible study is when you see the word therefore, it's telling you what something is there for. And so when we get into our passage tonight, we're seeing this charge and we know that charge is there because of everything that we've seen in chapter 3. And so because the world is getting worse and worse, and because God has given his word to us, the charge from Paul to Timothy is to preach the word. That's what Timothy's supposed to do because of all that information. And that just makes sense because we've been talking about how bad the world is and how it's only getting worse. And we've been talking about God's word and how it still stands valid, preserved, and relevant even in our declining world. So the only logical response to that information is to preach the word because the world needs answers and God's word is the only place that has those answers. So Paul's charging Timothy to preach the word and he's telling him how and why that word needs to be preached. But it doesn't just fall to Timothy to preach the word, it actually falls to all of us. So whether or not you'll ever stand up in front of people like I'm doing, like, like Troy does on Sundays, we all have to preach the word as we have opportunity, and we'll see that's why, why that's so important tonight. And, and maybe you'll think about preaching the word a little bit different than you've thought about until tonight. Because we're not covering anything earth-shattering tonight. If you've been around here for any length of time, you're probably not going to be surprised by anything we talk about. That said, it's, it's my prayer that our passage tonight just reminds us of our need to stick to God's word. Not just in what we allow to influence us, but in how we influence others. We have to stick to the Bible. It's, it's, it's all we have. It's what God gave us. We talked last week about only allowing the Bible to shape us as the inspired and preserved words of God. And this week we're talking about only allowing ourselves to influence others using the Bible. And it's really that simple. So let's pray and we can dig in. God, I thank you so much again for your word that you've given to us through inspiration and kept for us through preservation. And I just pray that tonight as we dig into this charge on what it means to preach the word, that, that we would just commit to doing whatever it is you're, you're asking of us. Um, and so, Lord, whatever, whatever you have us doing in our lives and whatever direction you have our lives going, I just pray that uh, we would commit to, 
to preaching the word the way Paul told Timothy to and the way you're asking us to tonight. Lord, we love you, and we just want to serve you as best we can. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's dig into this charge by first looking at how Paul introduces this charge in verse number one, and that's point number one, the righteous judge. Um, And we won't spend too much time on this because it's actually an incredibly deep study that we don't have time for tonight, Um, but I encourage you to do that on your own. But let's read verse one again when Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And like I said, we're not digging too deep into this verse because that can get really deep really quickly and I didn't want to rabbit trail off in a, in a different direction. But we can't miss that Paul is giving Timothy this charge before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what follows in verse 2 is a charge to preach the word, but that charge isn't just something that Paul would like Timothy to do. Yes, remember, we're reading Timothy's mail and Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, but the charge originates from the Lord. Remember last week, even though Paul wrote these words, this is the Bible. It was given by inspiration. It was preserved for us by the Lord. So the charge to preach the word and to stick to it is actually coming from the Lord. That's why Paul mentions here that the Lord Jesus Christ shall be judging the quick and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom because the charge is coming from from him, from the Lord. He will be the one who judges how faithfully Timothy carries out the command to preach the word. Does that make sense? Well, that's why Psalm 50 verse 6 says, and, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness for God is judge himself, Selah. God is the judge and the Lord Jesus Christ is the judge because the Lord Jesus Christ is God. And this verse in 2 Timothy 4 actually points at multiple judgments. You have a judgment for the quick, which just means the living, and you have a judgment for the dead. You have one at his appearing and one at his kingdom. So, There's at least two judgments mentioned there, and if you study judgments in the Bible, you'll find the Bible actually describes seven different judgments. We're not going to dig into that tonight. What's important for us to understand tonight is that we will be judged based on our obedience to the charge that Paul is giving Timothy, based on our willingness to preach the word. Because as Christians, we can rest assured that we'll never have to be judged for our sin because our sin has already been judged on the cross by Jesus Christ when he completely paid for those sins. Praise the Lord. That doesn't mean we never have to face judgment, though. Instead of being judged for our sins, we get judged based on what we did with what God gave us when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. We can see that described for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, we'll just read verses 9 through 15 that just describe the judgment based on what we've done for the Lord. Verse 9 says, For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And so this is, this is the judgment of your work. Verse 10, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and built thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So we're all building, and we're all participating in this building project, but we're going to see we get judged based on how we build. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so 
as by fire. So we're all tasked with building on Christ's foundation, the ministry that he started with his disciples, and his disciples had other disciples, and they had other disciples. Churches were planted, missionaries were sent, other churches were planted, and that tracks 2,000 years. I don't know how it tracks, I don't have a chart to show you, but like we're still here today doing the same thing that Jesus Christ started. We're all commanded to be fruitful with our lives and invest what God has given us into others to build that spiritual kingdom. Paul is just telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to do that by preaching the word. And like I said, that command extends to all of us, and we'll see that in a bit. But we have to face the reality that God expects us to do that and will judge us for our obedience to that charge, not to punish us, but to reward us when we're obedient to it. We earn rewards when God judges that we've done the things he's asked us to do. And the reason why I'm not digging too deep into this judgment thing this week is because that's going to be super clear in our passage for next week, and I didn't want to steal all your stuff. Um, But that includes 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, which says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so I'm not even going to talk about that. I'll leave that for Nick to cover next week. But just recognize that, that we have a coming judgment as Christians. The judgment seat of Christ will separate all the things you've done for the Lord from all the things you've done for yourself because only the things you've done for the Lord will last into eternity. Only the gold, silver, and precious stones will survive that fire. And you're only going to be rewarded for those things. So with that in mind, understanding God as our judge and the judgment that we know is coming, let's look at point number two, the regular job. Because we have a job that we're supposed to do regularly and we see that in verse two and that's simply preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And there you have the charge. You have the job that we're given, and that job is to preach the word, along with some details on what that job actually entails. We talked last week about the importance of God's word because he inspired it and preserved it for us. So we talked about our need to learn his word. And we also talked about our need to continue in his word so we can grow to maturity by doing his word as we learn it. Well, tonight we're going to see that we're not just supposed to learn it and we're not just supposed to do it. We're also supposed to preach it. We're supposed to share it. And that is absolutely key for us to understand because scripture is full of instructions for us to preach God's word. And it's full of examples of that for us. And the primary example of that is obviously Jesus Christ. Um, In Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, Um, Look at what Jesus said he was there to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. A big part of why Jesus came to the earth was so he could preach some things to the world. And in doing that, he set for us the example in preaching his word and he started a ministry that Went, went through all the disciples and is still happening today. God's word is the only thing that changes people. It's the only thing that has the power to change people's lives. So if we want people to get saved in this world that's only getting worse and worse, well, we have to preach the gospel just like Jesus said here that he did. Because without that, people don't get saved. And if that sounds harsh, don't take it up with me. Take it up with Romans chapter 10. Um, because verse 13 is great news. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's fantastic because it's really easy to get saved, but, but, but the catch is on us 
In verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, And how shall they preach except they be sent? And as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So if the gospel isn't being preached, people don't get saved. Which only makes sense because they can't respond to the gospel if they never hear it. But don't miss that. If we don't do our job, people don't have a chance of escaping eternity in hell. But preaching God's word isn't just necessary for saving people. It's also how people reach spiritual maturity. Colossians 1 verse 28, talking about Jesus, says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we, we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And we talked about that word perfect last week. And we talked about how when the Bible uses the word perfect, it, it means something that's complete or mature. And being perfect in Christ just means being mature in your walk with the Lord. And solid Bible preaching is the only way that can happen in a person's life. The investment of the word of God into a person's life is the only way they're going to grow. The word of God has to get into them and they have to make the decision to apply that and allow the Lord to change them to better line up with who Jesus is. That's why God gave us his word. Remember from last week, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness so that we can become more and more mature as we allow it to affect us more and more, no matter what the declining state of the world might look like. But that only happens when the word of God is preached. That only happens when it's shared, when it's invested. So we are told to preach the word, and we're told to be instant in season and out of season, and being instant, like, I don't know, for some reason when I read be instant, like I just think of like instant oatmeal or something like that, but Maybe that'll help you remember that that's not what it means. Being instant just means to be ready at any moment. So when you wake up in the morning and you want your oatmeal instantly, I mean, it still takes like a while because you got to heat up the water, but you want to be ready in the moment. You don't want to have to take three minutes to heat up the water. It's like you're being told to stand by and prepared and be prepared to deploy God's word in any situation in your life. That's what being instant in season and out of season means. And we'll see this idea elsewhere in scripture. For example, um, Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine to hear, or mine ear to hear as the learned. And so the more you learn from God's word, like we talked about last week, the more ready and prepared you'll be to share it with others. Again, tonight is really simple. And the mistake we too often make when it comes to preaching is limiting ourselves to thinking that preaching is just what I'm doing right now or or what Troy does on a Sunday morning. That definitely is preaching, but it's not the only way we preach the word of God. We preach the word by doing exactly what 2 Timothy 4.2 tells us to do. Reproving, rebuking, and exhorting people using the word of God. You don't have to prepare a sermon and stand up in front of a group of people to do that. You should do that sometime, but you don't have to. To, to, to preach the word. Being instant in season and out of season can be as simple as 1 Peter 3.15 says when it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The point in being ready to preach the word is just being ready to talk to people. It's being ready to invest the word of God into someone else and help them apply it. It's being ready to tell them about the Lord and about what his word says. You don't have to be a pastor or a preacher to do that. You don't have to have an audience to do that. 
You just have to have the word of God inside of you and you have to be willing to let that out when you see opportunity to do so. You have to understand that reproving involves charging or convicting. It means telling people what the word of God says about their sin. You have to understand that rebuking involves correcting people. It just means showing them how the word of God says they should get right with the Lord. And you have to understand that exhorting just involves encouraging or motivating people. It means pushing people to continue following the Lord, to take their first step with him. And that's all preaching is. It's using the word of God to reprove, rebuke, and exhort in in someone's life. So whether you have a one-on-one conversation with someone or whether you're speaking to a crowd, I put this on your on your sheet. Preaching is just delivering the word of God to people in a way that helps them apply it in their life. It's not just showing them, look at all these cool things I learned from the Bible. It's, hey man, did you know God says this and do you see how that applies to this situation in your life? That's the job we're all tasked with doing. Whether, whether they're lost people or saved people, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. Everyone needs the word of God. So we're charged with letting it get inside of us and change us, but we're also charged with preaching it whenever it's applicable in the lives of the people around us. People need preaching. They need this kind of investment in their life. We can see examples of that throughout Scripture. I'll run through a couple. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12 says, And ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you into, unto his kingdom and glory. So again, you're seeing exhorted, comforting, and charging as a father does their children. And, and 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 says, Now we exalt, or exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And then in Titus 2, 15, uh, it says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And that's the key to preaching. You look up some of those verbs about speaking and exhorting and rebuking, Uh, and and, and reproving. You see that in scripture and you just see it happening over and over again. But the key is understanding that you and I actually have nothing to say to anybody that's actually going to benefit them, but but we understand that the word of God does. That's why the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That's where the authority comes from. You think what I'm saying to you right now matters because I have a job at a church? Like, Not at all. The only reason what I'm saying to you matters is because it's from the word of God. That's where the authority comes from. And that's where the power to change and direct lives comes from. God gave us his words, and we talked about that last week. Those words give us the power to positively affect the lives of those around us. But we have to use them the way God tells us to. We have to be ready to preach those words to the people who need it. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Um, In verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Verse 14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly unto them, that thy profiting may appear unto all. So he's taking the word of God and letting it inside of him and giving himself to them. Verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And that is how you stay ready. You continue allowing the word of God to get inside of you and you be ready for other people to hear you. 
That's how you make sure you stay instant in season and out of season. You continue in the word of God. You read it, you study it, you learn it, you apply it, and you do it. And as you do that, well, you're ready to preach it. You're ready to invest that into someone else. It's really that simple. It's not like there's, there's a, a, a certain level of discipleship or a class that you take where when you, when you pass it, okay, now I'm ready to talk to people about the Lord. No, you just talk to people about the Lord. Talk to them about what you know, and, and you'll be surprised when you find yourself looking for opportunities to invest the word of God into people, how things God is showing you is applicable to the people around you, and then you share that with them, and then you see the Lord working through your life. That's all this is. It's just letting the word of God get into you and being ready to share it with others. A lot of people think the ability to preach is something you have to be super smart to do. It's not. Look at me. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. He says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Listen, if you had to be a super smart dude to stand up and preach the word of God, then people would think that it's just a super smart dude who's saying cool things and, and not realize that it's the Lord. Like the super smart dude would just get in the way of, of what God's trying to do. But you don't have to be smart. You just have to be devoted to the word of God and allow it to prepare you to say what you need to say, to preach what you need to preach. The Bible even makes it clear that guys like Peter and John, the apostles of Jesus Christ, those guys weren't that smart either. Acts 4 verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them as they had, or that they had been with Jesus. God can use any one of us to do this job of preaching his word. Even if you're unlearned and ignorant, he's the one who enables us to do it because he already gave us the words he wants us to say. We talked last week about the sufficiency that he's given us in his word. That's Paul's charge to Timothy. That's the charge that we have as well. Be in God's word so much that you are always ready to reprove, rebuke, and exhort the people around you when you're needed. I told you tonight was simple. But that's the regular job that we always need to be prepared to do. And so with that, let's look at the reason why we need to be ready to do that at all times. And that's what we see in verses 3 and 4 with point number 3, the running jerks. Again, verses 3 and 4 say, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears, away from, or turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So Paul is telling Timothy that there's coming a time when people in general will be doing their best to avoid solid Bible teaching and avoid having the word of God invested into their life. They'll be ignoring biblical counsel. They'll refuse to allow the Bible to guide and direct their decisions. And it's safe to say that the that time or the, the time he's referring to in verse 3 um, is at least connected with the perilous times that we've been talking about throughout chapter 3. Um, again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 starts with saying, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And so keep in mind, Paul isn't even really referring to lost people here. In verse 4, he's talking about people who will turn their ears from the truth. Uh, so these people had their ears pointed at the truth at one time and are choosing to turn away from it. He's talking about people who are departing from the faith, like he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, in verse 1, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times there shall, or some shall depart from the faith, 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And so when we talk about departing from the faith, it doesn't refer to losing your salvation or anything like that. It just refers to leaving the truth of God's word by no longer allowing it to guide and direct your life. Like, look up the phrase, the faith, in the Bible and and see what the faith is referring to because the faith, you'll find out pretty quickly, is God's body of revealed truth, which we have in his word. Um, But in the case of the people in 2 Timothy 4, it's referring to people who are plugging their ears so they don't hear the word of God preached to them anymore. It means removing those people from their, the, the people who are preaching to them from their lives and bringing in other people, other teachers, who will tell them what they want to hear and make them feel comfortable instead of convicted. And that shouldn't surprise us because people hate when you say something against them or what they're doing. And remember, preaching is reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. And reproving and rebuking are both negative things, and exhorting is a positive thing. So I think it's safe to say that. Preaching God's word into people's lives, lives is at least two-thirds negative. And so whenever you do that to somebody, it normally requires something of them, and, and people don't like that. Uh, look at what, what happened in 1 Kings 22, verses 7 and 8. Um, and Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? They were asking all these prophets questions about war and stuff like that. And verse 8, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, yet there, or there is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. The king hated Micaiah because of what he said. It didn't matter that what he said was the truth. It only mattered that what he said wasn't good for the king. That was reason enough for the king to hate him and not want to hear from him. People just don't like when someone says something negative about them or about what they do. They don't like hearing that they're sinning. They don't like hearing how they need to change their lives to reflect the image of God. Look at what happened to Zechariah in 2 Chronicles 24. Uh, I'll start in verse 20. It says, And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. Some pretty scathing rebuke. Verse 21. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the houses of the, of the Lord. The people and the king hated the truth of what God said so much that they killed the man God used to speak it. That's how much people hate the word of God sometimes and that's the lengths they can be willing to go through to keep themselves from having to hear it. But this wasn't just a problem in the Old Testament. Jesus told the Pharisees that they weren't willing to hear him too. John 8 verse 44 says, "'Ye are of your father the devil.'" and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it in verse 45. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Jesus made a lot of enemies for people, or for, for speaking the truth to people and they ended up killing him for it. So why would we expect to not make enemies in our lives? Our job is to preach the word and more and more as time goes on, people don't want to hear the word. That doesn't mean we get to stop. It just means, just means we're going to make some enemies. Paul says in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? 
And we have to recognize that that's going to happen to us if we're obedient to what the Lord's asking us to do. We have to understand that if we preach the word the way God wants us to, if we preach like Jesus preached, some people are just going to hate it. And because, they're, because they hate it, they're going to hate us. Because people want to learn, they just don't want the truth. They still want teachers because they have itching ears. They just don't want the truth of God's word because God word, God's word demands something of them. It demands that they change. It demands that they line up with Christ. And people don't want to change. Like 2 Timothy 3, 7 says, we saw that a couple weeks ago, they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They want to learn. They just don't want God's word. They don't want conviction. They want comfort. And that's a lonely reality for us to face sometimes because we know in advance that doing what God asks us to do is going to result in us losing friends and making enemies. It can be easy to feel like Elijah felt in 1 Kings 18 um, and in verse 22 when he said unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, if you keep reading, God corrected him and told him about a bunch of other prophets on his side that Elijah didn't know about, but it's easy to feel alone like that sometimes. It's easy to feel rejected and like no one in your everyday life wants to hear what you have to say. That's why it's important for us to stay plugged into our church and into the community that we find here. That's why Sundays and Tuesdays are so important. We have to come together to be encouraged and motivated and reminded that we're not in this alone because other people aren't going to encourage us. They're just going to push us away. And they're only going to encourage the people who tell them what they want to hear. Jeremiah 5 verse 31 says, The prophets fa prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will they do, or what, what will ye do in the end thereof? People love when they don't have to be confronted by the truth of God's word. They may know that what they're hearing is a lie, but they will love to hear that lie anyways until they're convinced that that lie is the truth. As long as it's what they want to hear, they'll love it no matter how big of a lie it might be. That's why good reviews of, of, of people or, or preaching aren't normally a good indication of the truth. Luke 6 verse 26 says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. People are going to love preaching that tells them what they want to hear. That doesn't mean it's good preaching. So they're going to praise anything that tells them what they want to hear, even if that's not the truth. Instead, we have to trust God's word as our indicator of truth. We have to judge the preaching we hear based on its accuracy to the word of God, like the Bereans did in Acts 17, um, verses 10 and 11, saying, The brethren went immediate, or immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word of God, or the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They didn't just accept what they heard, they went home and checked to make sure that what the word of God says is, is what was being preached to them. Preaching and teaching are only good if they're accurate to the word of God. That's why our reproving, rebuking, and our exhorting have to be based on the word of God and not on our thoughts and opinions. And that's why people don't love real legitimate preaching. That's why they turn their ears to fables. And this is nothing new, this idea of fables, because we've seen this throughout Paul's letters, especially to, to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Uh, we, we saw it in 1 Timothy 1 verse 4 when he said, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. So if you want godly edifying, well, stick to the word of God. But people don't want godly edifying, so they look, 
look to learn other things which don't actually build them up or mature them. You see fables mentioned again in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, that says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You exercise yourself to godliness, you leave the bad teaching behind. And you make sure that you are preaching the word because that is what's going to exercise people in your life to godliness. Don't start preaching fables that, that are just going to confuse them. Stick to the word of God when you're answering questions and try to invest the word of God in people because fables are going to end up turning them from the truth. Titus 1 verse 14 says, Neither give heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Like we talked about, our job is to constantly be pointing people to the word of God and anything we do to distract them from the word of God only gets in their way. So commit to preaching the word. Commit to being ready to do that in season and out of season. Commit to looking for opportunities to invest in people like that no matter where you are or who you're with. Because the word of God is the only thing that has the power to change people. So make sure you're using those opportunities to, to, to use that power. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 16 says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And the only way to overcome the people who just don't want to hear the truth, well, it's just to stick to the truth. Just because they don't want to hear it doesn't mean we're free from our responsibility to preach it. So you preach it to them. If they turn away, keep preaching it until you find someone who doesn't turn away. It's really that simple. Pray for the opportunities to invest the word of God into other believers and then constantly be on the lookout for those opportunities. And the best way to be ready like that is to do what 2 Timothy 2 tells you. Again, we looked at this verse last week, but 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we do with, with truth. But verse 16 says what we do with things that aren't truth. But shun provane and vain babblings for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And that's, that's the opposite of the goal we want. So study the word of God. Let it get into you. Be ready to share it. Shun the profane and vain babblings. Stick to the word of God. Allow it to get into your life and allow it to get out of you by investing into others. That's the charge that Paul gave to Timothy and that's the charge that the Lord gives to us. We talked last week about how critical God's word is in our lives, but he doesn't just give it to us so that we can improve our own lives. He gives it to us so we can invest that truth into other people who need it so they can apply it in their lives as well. God will use you to do that if you let him. My prayer is that we won't limit our understanding of preaching the word to standing in front of a crowd and preaching a sermon because that's not all preaching is. My prayer is that we'll commit to finding opportunities to use the word of God to reprove, rebuke, and exhort others, pointing them towards him, whether they're lost or whether they're saved. That's our job. And we do that with lost people by sharing the gospel and we can do that with saved people by discipling them both formally through discipleship and informally through conversations and discussions. Sometimes people will respond to the truth. Other times they won't. But our job is to preach the word and that job stays the same regardless of their response to it. My prayer is that we'll commit to doing our job regardless of what the people around us are doing or how the people we're investing in or trying to invest in are responding. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much again for your word and for, for the comfort in knowing that you've asked us to do things, but you've given us what we need to do those things. Um, it, it's, not, 
our, our success or failure or, or the success or failure of your ministry isn't based on our ability, it's just based on our willingness and, and I find that humbling and comfortable. And Lord, I pray that we'd keep that in mind as we uh, leave tonight and consider opportunities, um, even, even tonight or tomorrow and just throughout our everyday life to find ways to have spiritual conversations with people and find ways of continually pointing people to you, whether they're lost or whether they're saved, whether they need to get to know you as, as, as their savior or whether they just need to get back on track or take the next right step with you. I pray that we would find a way to be a part of that by, by investing what you've given us from your word into their life because that's what it means to preach the word, Lord, and we want to take that charge seriously and we want to stay strong and keep doing that until you come back. In your name we pray, amen.